welcome to Butterflies and Bravery. We're so glad you're here. We're going to tell you some funny stories and then we're going to talk about our exciting ideas that are coming up. I had a really expensive beaded earring at work and I lost it and it was gone for a week. And then this waitress walks up to me and goes, how much do you love me? I'm like, I don't know why. <laughs> and then she had it. Popped up with my earring. What? Where did you find that? Oh my God. Because it, it's like a beaded, it's beaded first of all. So they're very expensive. Beaded. It's, hard, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. It's all sure. hand done. And it's a Seahawk one. In the middle, there's a Seahawk. And one of my coworkers had given them to me. So, gotcha. yeah. yeah. So, whoo, boy, was I happy. Yeah. Those are cool. But I guess if it was beaded, though, too, you could probably figure out how to make a new one. Oh, yeah, but that would be hard because I don't know how to do that. I started learning how to do the glass bead thread threading. Remember, I was telling you I was super into the whole Native American art. Of course, you know better now, but like back then I was like, I wanted to make moccasins and I wanted to. <laughs> that's, probably where, that's probably where like my, partially where my obsession with the, the what do you call it? The tassel mm. outfits that we would always cut. Remember? You and yep. me. Our shredded 90s. <laughs> I shredded my 90s. So did I. Remember that? Yep. <laughs> Where was I? I was like in Jom Tien or something. Yeah. And it was weird because it was one of the few times we ever spoke on the phone, too. I was, yes. I was going to say that. Like, we say, yeah, yeah. on the phone. I don't know. Uh, very few times. It was very, very hard rare. to get permission to yeah. do something like that. Yeah. Something must have been going on. Right. I just remember being like, I pierced my ears. So did I. I shredded my nighty. So did I. <laughs> so fucking crazy. Like, oh, how are we yeah. doing these things at the same time? <laughs> it's also hilarious that that was our huge rebellious thing. Right. Double piercing our ears and a shredding second, our nighties. A second ear hole and, and we cut up our nighties. Wild. <laughs> wild. That was wild. I... Actually, I ran away when I was 11, I think, because I had acne and my stepdad, he made me pin my bangs back because he thought my greasy hair was causing the acne. That's why (laughs) you're breaking out because your hair is greasy and it's touching your face. So you need to pin it back. And he would force me to pin back my bangs and I would just be so angry. It would be a huge thing for me. And so one night I had a friend over, a boy, and I was at that age, a very self-conscious, at least I was 11, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, 11. You know? yeah. And I think this boy was like older or something and I was trying to impress him. I can't remember, but... I might have even been 12, but it was very (laughs) shortly before I went to Mexico. He came over for dinner and we were having a stew with chunks, like pieces of meat, big pieces of potato, big pieces of carrots. So first, my dad made me pin my bangs back. And then I think for some reason the guy had left and I was already mad because he had made me pin my bangs back. (laughs) And I was eating my soup with a fork. Because big chunks, eating them out, and then I was going to drink the broth. Eat your soup with a spoon. I don't want to. I don't want to eat with a spoon. <laughs> These are big pieces. I'm eating them with my fork. 
eat with a spoon or go to your room. I'll go to my room then. <laughs> okay, I don't fucking care. I dropped my fork and went to my room. And it was a little townhouse that we were in. Mm-hmm. And my room was above like the kitchen and dining room. And right across from it was my parents' room. And they had a little, not really a deck, but just an exit and stairs going out. So there was yeah. an upstairs door. Were you guys like TS or something like that? Because, or this were was, there other people in the home? There was no other people in the home. This oh. was in Arizona in like 1984. So they were still restructuring from the R and R and all of that. Right. And yeah, no, I forgot that you spent some of your time in the states. So we had gotten clearance to go to South America, mm. and then it was revoked. We were in Arizona. <laughs> And my mom was mated to John Mooney, who was like one of my <laughs> biggest abusers. The one that abused yeah. me sexually at seven years old. And the one who used to yeah. hang us over the stairs by one foot and like all kinds of just terrible abuse. Yeah. My mom was really upset with him because he was really abusing, spanking and hurting the kids. I think he was abusing her too. I can't remember. I'm not sure. My mom was FFing to support us. And she met Jim and Jim proposed to her and said, let me take care of you and all of your children. So she said, Mm -hmm. okay. She went back home, told John Mooney, the guy that she was made it to, that she was going to go and marry this fish. This guy that Mm -hmm. she had been FFing. (laughs) Take care of her and all of her children. So they got into a fist fight right in front of me. I think I've told you the story before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do remember this. Yeah. So they got into a fist fight right in front of me and I'm screaming and yelling right before that townhouse. We were living with other people, Tim and Comfort. It was one of those like fourplex situations and they were in the front and we were in the back. So I ran up to them and I got him and he came out and broke up the fight. Jim and John were fighting. Jim and John were fighting. Yes. Okay. And so Tim and Comfort came and broke it up. They're the ones that went to Japan that I was supposed to be going to live with. When I went to Japan. Gotcha. Yeah. So. It's funny, Tim and Comfort, because there's also Tim and Cheerful, do you remember? Yeah. And Cheerful is also Japanese. Yeah. No, Comfort was actually Korean, though. Oh, okay. Korean. If I remember correctly. If I remember correctly. But just. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. But I think Super she was, fucking she used to make kimchi. The re- oh, I get the reason I think that is because she used to make kimchi all the time. Kimchi. Oh, okay. She could have been a Japanese that made kimchi. This is like a super like random, but I don't think we did we ever have any homes in Korea? I don't remember ever hearing about homes in Korea. I think there was because I went on a road trip, I want to say, with Addo and Kana and their kids. And for some reason I thought that they had lived there before i'm not sure exactly yeah, i spent yeah. a week in korea on right. a road trip did road you trip. ever no no I you never. didn't go to korea no, right no oh. I was uh, the only thing i really remember is being in a tiny hotel room <laughs> with eight people uh, all over the floor and shit because ado and kana had six kids or something and there was me yep. and then them two and we literally had a double hotel room and we were just fucking all over the floor for the whole week. It was terrible. And, of course, we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, we're trying to, like, scrounge <laughs> and, and have enough food to try and cook in this little hotel room with some kind of little hot pot thing or something. It was just a fucking nightmare. So it wasn't really fun. The only cool thing I remember is the market. There was people, like, stomping their feet and clapping and yelling. Rah, 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 rah. 
Like it was crazy. I remembered actually in the week I was there, I learned how to count and I was really into learning languages and I was like 14 when I went there. So I learned how to count. I learned how to to say, how much does this cost? And oh, that's too much because you barter at the market. That's the only thing that I remember that was fun. The bad thing I remember is I had gotten a gold necklace with mother of pearl on it and from the naritas for babysitting their kids and i lost it in the market in korea or it got stolen from me i'm not somebody could have just torn off my neck and i didn't realize it but it was gone and i was so fucking devastated we never had anything nice never had anything yeah Mm. never so when i had something that was actually mine that i liked I was like, oh my fucking God, this is like, it's so amazing. They always seem to disappear. Yeah, Yeah. my my mom had been gifted this Spanish, it was all like Spanish lace with the tassel. It was like so beautiful. She had been gifted it when we were in Mexico. So when like, when I was eight and she had given it to me at some point, I think probably when I left like around 12-ish. And when we had that super radical, quote-unquote radical for goal time, remember? And everybody had to go down to the one suitcase and two outfits, blah, blah, blah. They took that from me. That was one of the things they took. Oh, yeah. No, I was, was going to say, I thought I remembered you mm-hmm. having it. Was it like black? Yep. Was it like black with like yeah, roses or something on it? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was going to say, I thought I remembered you having something yeah, like I, that. Yeah, I had it and then they oh, took I it remember. and I was just like fucking just devastated. Just like crying. I remember the shawl. That's yeah. crazy. Because it when was like brought one it of up, the, I was sitting here going, that sounds really familiar. Because it mattered. So it was like one of the things. Oh no, you loved that mattered. It. That, you you that were like, it me. clutched it like constantly. Whenever yeah. it was not 8,000 degrees and dying of sweat, you yeah. were clutching the shawl. Because in Chiang Mai, it was quite a bit cooler yeah. than down in Bangkok. And there was actually a cold season and we were up mm-hmm. in the mountains too. Yeah. yeah. I think I remember you using it. But quite I mean, I, it was lace, so it wasn't even that hot. But yeah, it was just really beautiful. And I remember that got taken too. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to meet other people that are our age. Like we're going into our fifties and we can like literally tell you exactly when and where we had our few fucking belongings. Like the couple of things we had. And I know that everybody had a different, nobody had the same exact experience, but they were pretty harsh in Thailand. They were pretty harsh with our age group. Thailand had, and the Philippines were just. Yes. Yeah. I had some bad experiences in Japan, but overall it wasn't that bad. But between the Philippines and Thailand, oh, and Mexico. Mexico was really bad. Mexico yeah. involved in sexual abuse, though. They didn't yeah. know what to do with us. We were yeah. just all these fucking kids running around, and they decided to just have sex with us. And then it was pretty much just, let's go sing and then go have sex and sing and have sex. That was yep. life. That was, that was yeah, that was, much life. yeah, that was Mexico, yeah. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was my experience in Mexico, <laughs> very much. And yeah, then no. once once we got to, yeah, the Philippines and Thailand were just really fucked. I think a lot of the people got really messed up there because yeah. they were just so fucking harsh. To just give a an idea of how bad it got was long after we left, but loosening some of the rules, the leader there, Stephen, he went and decided to start his own movement. Like he broke off. Like it was... 
like that's how important their control and their need for I guess followers was. Yeah. Okay, but wait, so wait, we were in the townhouse. Yes. Okay, so John and Jim are fighting. Yeah. John decides to leave, but he's gonna take one of the kids with him, Oliver. He's mm. now been in and out of prison and right. his adult life has been not good. Yeah. So we move into this townhouse. It's just our family. I really don't. I'm so young. I really didn't think about what our status was, but yeah. I'm guessing they made some kind of exception for us because I got invited to the youth area fellowship meeting in Mexico in 1985. And that yeah. was how I got. They were um, trying to pull people back in, I think is what it was. I, Yes, I think that's exactly what it was. That's yep. exactly what it was. Because this is also when I was going to public school for a year, maybe sixth grade. I only remember being in like second grade and then sixth grade. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the two two years that I went to school, second grade and sixth grade. And in sixth grade, they were giving us in Arizona what they called cat tests. It was a California achievement test, but that's oh, okay. what they used to do to grade mm-hmm. you instead of the, the SAT or whatever it is now. And I remember I was 12 years old and I remember I scored college level in everything except for math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crazy, huh? Yeah. I was told to pin my bangs back. I didn't want to. <laughs> I told to eat my soup with a fork and I had a spoon. I didn't want to. <laughs> so I was laying up in my room and I was so freaking mad. I was so freaking mad. So I decided I'm going to run away. Out I went. Not even a further thought. I'm just going to go knock on. It was like a townhouse complex. So I knew a couple of kids in there. Yeah. So immediately ran to one of the kids, the one that had been over for dinner earlier. And... <laughs> That was, yeah. That's how far you got. You're like, <laughs> this is, don't ever find me here. Of course, that was the first place they looked, but I wasn't there because they said they couldn't, their parents wouldn't let me in, obviously. I'm an 11 year old girl at eight o'clock at night trying to come to somebody's house. Like, what parent in their right mind would be like, yes, let's come in. We'll take you in from away from your parents. But then again, like, somebody should have been like, let's call, the, let's do something, not just, nope, you can't come here. Yeah. Went to my next friend's house. Same answer. Nope. Can't come here. So I found the bad kids that I knew. And we all decided to go and smoke cigarettes across the street mm. in the housing complexes that were being built. They were new housing. So it was just like a shell. No doors, no windows, just walls. So I'm running. My dad's been looking for me and sees me, but he's driving in his semi truck. So he can't like just flip a U-turn in the middle of the road. Right. <laughs> and I know this. So I decide because he's coming down the road, I'm running down the mm-hmm. street and I'm like, if I go across the street, he's not going to be able to get me. So I run mm-hmm. across the street. <laughs> what can he do? He's got to go all the way around, come around, try and turn. By right. that time I'm gone, I'm down in the housing complexes. I found the bad kids and we're going to go smoke cigarettes and light fires. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Do something. <laughs> so eventually it was like 11 o'clock and it started to get cold. <laughs> Nobody would take me in. I didn't know where to go. Plus I was hungry. So I went back <laughs> home. My mom was just crying and crying and crying because I've been gone for four hours. And nobody knows where I am or anything. And I, my stepdad had tried to come and find me, but I had run away and he didn't know where I was. Yeah. 
And then my stepdad's just pissed. And he's one to turn over. <laughs> he's just like laying, sleeping in their waterbed. Not even, I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, can I have some soup? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm hungry. Can I have I'll, I'll use a spoon. I promise. Oh, my dad's like, she can't have anything. My mom, come on downstairs. Let's go get you some soup. <laughs> Oh yeah, my gosh. when I think about how different life was and how different just even the world was back then, I was eight in Mexico and we had our dog with us, Mimi, and it was my job to walk her a couple times a day in the mornings and in the evenings. And we would take her outside the trailer park because they didn't want the dog to poop in the trailer park. So we had to take her outside. We walk all the way down whatever road and come back. This was the nice trailer park. There was two main trailer parks in Guadalajara, which is where we were. One was run by an expat who had been wounded during the Vietnam war and was like, not okay up in the head. And so he didn't give a fuck. The whole place was run down, nothing taken care of, and he let everybody stay for dirt cheap. So the only people who would go there were cult people. So it was like a big, huge commune there constantly. There was anywhere between seven to 15 trailers at any given time, like which trailers, quote unquote, homes. But there was one other place that we would stay in another trailer park that was like much more fancy. It's not a trailer park the way that they have them here in the States. It's like a campground, actually. Yeah. That would probably be closer to mm -hmm. what the definition here would be. We'd have to walk outside of the campground because they didn't want any problems with the dogs. Now. But I would go by myself, eight years old. And I know wow. I had like direct instructions to go and come right back. Usually my brother would go with me too. The one right under me, eight and seven. I was watching him. I was in charge of him, the little seven-year-old. I'm eight, taking care of my seven-year-old brother. And yeah, go out on the street and walk around in Mexico with your little blonde hair, blue-eyed faces. And sure, no problem. It wasn't any problem until one day though. It just so happened that my brother wasn't there. And it was just me. There was this woman and she saw me and she was all like, like just gibbering away in Spanish. She couldn't believe the blonde hair, blue eyed little girl who was wandering around by herself with a dog in the middle of the road or in the streets in Mexico. <laughs> and so she grabbed me and pulled me in and they fed me just cookies and all this stuff that I don't usually have. But what I remember so clearly was that they were painting my fingernails. And it was like nothing like that had ever happened. I never had my fingernails painted. I just remember that so clearly. And I think finally what happened is my brother showed up and he was like, you need to come home. And so I went home to a sort of a similar scene. My mom completely losing her shit, completely losing her shit. And then my stepdad, angry punishment. I don't know what, but it was like, it's so weird when you think about it. Like an eight-year-old child, like, I, I don't think I would ask my eight-year-old child to wash the dishes. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Watch out for the knives. Like that's, right. but for whatever reason, they were like, yeah, sure. Go out in this strange, unknown country wander around by yourself. <laughs> you have a dog. Everything's going to be fine. And then when I got distracted, I got lured in by cookies and nail polish. 
I got in trouble. Don't ever do that again. We're not going to trust you if you do that, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I think that's the closest I came to running away in the sense of I was somewhere where my parents, like I, I was somewhere where I didn't have permission. And <laughs> I do remember though, like completely losing track of time. To me, I'd been there for 15 minutes, but I guess I, by the time I left, like the sun was setting and it, I've been out there a couple hours, which is a long time to lose an eight-year-old girl in Mexico. <laughs> but uh, I do remember that experience. <laughs> the whole South America, they had their own separate leadership and there wasn't a lot of crisscrossing. The people who are from ASCRO, which is the, the Asian, Southeast Asian area, they were in under one dominion. <laughs> and we had five. I'm trying to remember now because I, I know we had the, did they call them the Pacific, The which was would be the Australia and New Zealand and... That was Pacro. Pacro, that's right. And then we had the, we had Ascro, which is the Asian, which were, we were. Was it Japan? Was Japan? I think Japan was Pacro. Pacro, yeah. So it was like, I guess everybody that was sitting in the Pacific Island, (laughs) Pacific Ocean. Pretty much. I think it was Sacro, wasn't it? Sacro. It was Sacro, yeah. Yeah. So so then there was the whole South American continent, everything that fell into there. And then there was Nacro, which was the north, which Mm, is Canada and the United States. So we had Nacro, Ascro, Pacro, (laughs) Sacro. And then the fifth one was the European, what were they? Do you remember? So that, cause that's what Russia would have fallen under Russia and England. And was it, it wasn't your crow. That sounds a little. So when you think about it, those were the five factions. <laughs> Talk about a game of Thrones story. Those were like the five factions of the. There might've been another one too, but I'm not sure. But what would it be? I don't, I don't I know. Africa and. Oh yeah. Africa. All of that part. So there might have been a six? That's why I thought there was or they, one. Or maybe they fell under. Pacro? That's, I know the Middle East came under Ascro, came under the Asian. Right. I got Afro might have been an Ascro too. I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, we, so we had those big factions. and However many there were. <laughs> that it was, was yeah, it was five, six. But we didn't cross over too often. There wasn't a lot of crossover, at least in our world, as children growing up in this, we generally stayed in our areas. Even as we became teenagers and they started playing chess with us, we generally stayed within our our leadership zones. So I know we have, for example, in one of the in one of the communities, in one of our Facebook groups, we have there's a fair amount of ex-cult babies from Australia and yeah. and a few other places. I'm curious if there's other groups that are more the South American ex-members because I've met some ex-cult babies that don't actually even speak English. That's how, not isolated, but that's how solidly they stayed in the South American area. We've had this conversation, right? Calling the suicide hotline. You're like, so here's the story. (laughs) You have to fucking go into it and re-traumatize yourself, re-trigger yourself. That was brutal. That's just Mm. so brutal. I can tell you, for me, 
when I was in those places, emailing someone or even texting someone was so outside of my scope of ability because there's a cognitive requirement to be able to do that. And when you're all up in your shit, that, that was not working. That was not connecting. If we could figure out a answering service, that would, I guess that we can call that an answering service in the sense like, okay, we have a telephone number that's going to be manned. going to be somebody on the other end that you can cry to, that you can talk to and right. on room therapy. Obviously we can't, right. we can, but there will be somebody that will listen to you without you having to fucking explain what, where you came from. Definitely in some aspect, in some regard, having a dedicated answering service, I suppose to call it for lack of a better word. I think that would be super, super helpful and super beneficial. I think it's something that we should work towards. That's my personal feeling. I think it's something that we can be like, okay, we have established now that this is needed. How can we make it happen? That a thousand percent sure. I think we should do it. I work from home so I can see myself being able to be by the phone a few hours a day. If I need to, I don't think it'll be ringing off the hook, hopefully, but just that there's somebody at the other end and you don't even have to actually know you don't even have to identify yourself. It would just be like, <laughs> there, there's a voice on the other end like that. Yeah. Don't even have to tell us who you are. We're not going to no. ask any questions. Maybe. The other thing about the suicide hotline too, is that they asked me like 500 fucking questions yeah. before yeah. I could even tell them anything. And then I'm sitting there trying to kill yeah. myself. These are not the things that I want to be talking about right now. I don't want to be telling no. you my fucking name and my goddamn yeah. address and all that stupid shit and where I am. And Bob, I understand yeah. why, but you know, for sure. Not- but- that's not what you want to be saying. Especially like in our case, a lot of what we're doing when we get into those really dark spaces is where we have this whole disassociation. I'm not yeah. saying other people don't, but there's a whole disengagement even. Yeah. A couple times I've called, I'd be like, wait a second, actually, what is my address? And that sort of, but yeah, I don't think that people would even need to necessarily know who would be answering the phone either. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be like, oh, I know this is going to be a whisper on the other. No, it's like, no, just it's somebody who's going to answer. Who's going to answer you. I'd be very interested in hearing like some of what the other ex-cult babies are dealing with in their own way. I have someone in my life that was part of that a wild country, that Osho cult. That is a lot of exposures coming out of it. Mm in the last couple of years and there's books being written and stuff. And anytime that I talk to her about stuff that's going on in our communities, she's like, yep, this is so familiar. Like this is going on in ours as well. I'm curious as to that struggle that I just don't belong here in this world. There's just no space for me. There's no place for me. There's no way I can connect. I'd be interested to know if that's something that other cult babies would feel that they needed to, or other organizations. I don't know. The other thing that I definitely think that in my mind, is much more tangible, something that we could make happen before the end of the year type of a thing would be to set up a a therapy group, essentially. The gathering of us that you can pop in and just listen or talk or whatever it might be. When my kids were going through the shit that we were going through with, with the suicides and that whole thing, the only free youth group that they had that wasn't in the actual mental hospital was was the lgbtq center and it was 
organized and run by a licensed therapist. And that group saved a thousand percent saved my kid's life because it was a place where they could come. Other people were saying like other people had their story. There just needs to be that tether, that connection of you are not alone and not just because yes, you can call a friend or you could pick up some self-help book and people will say, you're not alone, but it's really different than sitting in a group and hearing someone describe what you just went through three days ago or what you're going through in this moment. I can really see the benefit of having that. We could even have a non-therapy just to get together group. I feel like there's a big need for that just to get together and talk. And even just that, like knowing that other people understand you. And a thousand percent like we, and we've talked about this and we talked about it and we talked about it. And I know for me, I can sometimes wait until I think everything's perfect right? <laughs> to, for it to all come together and then we'll make it happen. But like this podcast started because I was finally like, okay, it's not going to be perfect. Let's just go. Right. And here we are a year and a half later. So maybe that's what we need to do. We don't have to worry about, do you want to come? Maybe that's what we need is we just need like yeah. a place where somebody can stop in and yeah. just like literally shoot the shit. Something like that, that, like that's not a charge and that's just facilitated by somebody. If we get our Patreon set up, I know there's people that will, yeah, that will, there's people ready to donate monthly to it already. That could be, that can totally be part of it. There's other cult babies that want to be in there too. Okay. So would we do one that would be cult babies and then one that would, and that would be everybody, or should we have one that's designated COG, ex-COG? All these other ex-cult babies, they all feel the same way. Like they need somebody to connect with. They need a group. They need somebody to talk to. They all feel so alone. And For that's sure. why I feel like it's a really big need. And if not, then yeah, we can set up one just for that too. Hey, yeah, it's going to be just try and see what works. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. We wanted to make this happen. So let's just do it. I think there is this, is this need that we have to, the not explaining things, (laughs) the not having to explain yourself is like one of the biggest things. We spend our whole lives day in and day out translating ourselves into palpable explanations of who we are and why we are the way that we are. (laughs) A really good way of saying it. That's pretty much what happens on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, it's just fucking exhausting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I really think we can work out the logistics. And I really think if we get our Patreon set up, that we can get enough sponsorship to at least help us to facilitate these groups because it's going to take some time. It's going to take, it takes a lot more than people think to behind the scenes to actually get <laughs> yeah. like this. Yeah. going. Yeah, for sure. And a lot more money. We spend a lot of money out of pocket on the podcast every yeah, month. Every month. So we would we're definitely gonna appreciate some sponsorship. And yeah. I I think like you said too though, let's start guilt tripping some FGAs in these groups. Let's get like, in there and be like me. you guys owe us here's five dollars a month Patreon. You can set mm-hmm. it up. It'll just come straight out of your bank account. <laughs> you don't have to think about it at all. And you can start feeling like maybe you're paying us back a little bit. Yeah, exactly. In general, 
we should be responsible for ourselves and in general, right? Everyone's, we are responsible for our own mental health, our own care, our own concern. But in this case, very specifically, we have two groups of people, one that understood there was a life outside of a cult and one that did not. And that's the divide. That's the huge difference where I can honestly wholeheartedly say there is a responsibility that stops before it hits us because we did not know. And every single person who came in from an outside life and an outside world who knew what it's like to have, to have relatives and who knew what it's like to, (laughs) to take a breath. Sometimes (laughs) they came into this fucking disaster and yes, maybe you exited as fast as you possibly could, but you left all of us behind. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's only fair. (laughs) We're sitting here like 18 months later with a very clear picture of what the need is that I don't, even though I knew on a certain level that there was like where we are right now, where we're sitting here and every single fucking month or week, even it seems like we're added to that suicide list. Like I just, I can't. And I, it's terrible. The person that just lost their battle to depression or to pain, I guess their battle to pain not a few days ago, message after message after message. And it's not about, it's not about were you loved enough? Did you have something? Somebody made a comment was like, he had so much going. I wanted to, I was like, can I fucking punch you right now? Because that's not the point. The point is not whether they have something going on in their life. Obviously this person was like, like profoundly loved. Nothing to do with that. It's that empty aloneness that you feel. And if we can come in and, even if it's pathetic, (laughs) if if we can come in and say, okay, it's nothing to what you deserve. It's nothing to what it should be. We're we're not like, we're not solving anything huge, but I just don't want anyone to feel like we're just like out there, like dealing with our own selves. And here's the thing, like, I know like when we first left the cult, I think there was an element of us feeling, okay, older ones, like we really got shit on because they were experimenting with us, right? Like we saw some fucking shit, but we're watching our siblings, our brothers and sisters like that were young growing up and coming statistically that is seen across the board, whether you're your cult, not a cult, whatever it is. Statistically, you start actually looking at your history and your past and the things that's going on like around your 30s. And we're like every single every single year, there's this whole new wave of kids coming out. They're going, holy fuck, this happened to me. What can I do? And they need to know that they're not alone and they need to know that I'm so, so fucking over. <laughs> I'm so overhearing that I had it worse or you had it worse or this is my story. That's your story. I'm not, I'm a thousand percent not condemning. People have their own personal experiences and they have their own reasons to feel the way they do. Not, I'm not, that's very valid. But you know how our parents used to say, they'd come and they discipline you for something and you're, you're like, I, but I didn't even do that. And then they'd be like, this is for all the times you did it and didn't get caught. Yeah. It's a little bit like that. Okay, maybe they're not, maybe that isn't their 
direct personal story, but that is a story that has been repeated over and over and over again in all of these children and all of us. And I'm not where I am right now. I don't want to argue semantics about who had it or who didn't have it because it's one thing if you, you're using it to like actually gain something in some way that you're keeping from other ex-members. But that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about like all of us in some way were royally fucked by these cults, royally fucked. And we shouldn't have to feel as alone as we do. We shouldn't. And I know that we hear it constantly. We see it ourselves and we hear it constantly of, ah, (laughs) I didn't know there was other people feeling this exact same way. I didn't know that your experiences could mirror mine so closely to where I feel like I'm your sister in arms, your brother in arms, whatever. So yeah, we need to, you know how for LGBTQ youth, they'll have these safe spaces. This is a safe space. I feel like we have the possibility, we have the ability to create like a safe space for ex cult babies to come into and be themselves. It just sits on me. It sits on me. And if I can do something and I don't, that's what's going to keep me awake at night. If I can actually do something and I don't, if there's something that we can do, let's do it. So let's do it. We'll have a Butterflies and Bravery listening service. They can book either one of us. That's That would be super, super awesome. Yeah. Let's just do it. Yeah, we're not therapy, but you're not going to come and get re-triggered. We're not going to sit there and say, you should do what happened to me. We want to be asking them to also support us. The other reason why I feel comfortable about doing that is, is because they have, what are we at? 60 episodes. If you're wondering who we are and if we will understand you, or if you want to feel comfortable knowing like who we are listening to you, we go, yeah, we have all these episodes. Like at least that, then I'm not going to come here and say, Hey, I know what I'm talking about. No, you go check yourself if I do, or if I don't, that's not not what this is about. Yeah. But yes, you're right. And I also feel like because a lot of people have heard our podcast or been avid listeners or just downloaded one or whatever, but they already feel like they know us because it's a very personal thing. Like even when I listen to these podcasts, I feel very, almost like I know that person very personally. Mm -hmm. And we've shared a lot of things about ourselves. So I feel like that in, in a lot of ways could make it easier for people to talk to us because not only do they know, yes, we're going to understand, but they know how big of a disaster we are. They know how big of a disaster we are. And they already feel like they know us. So it's just it's like talking to a friend instead yeah, of some random stranger that has no clue what's going on. <laughs> In our world, that just doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work for us. It's just, yeah. it's too hard for us to try and fit into that whole and, mental health, normal mental health thing. Yeah. And to me, because I've, I've been thinking about it, obviously, since the latest suicide, I just cannot stop thinking about it. It's going around in my head, but I would so much rather be someone that helps, you know, another ex member hang in there and stick around rather than being some fucking popular podcast. I don't fucking care about that. That's fun. I'm human, but end of the day, this will always be what's the most important to me. What's really sad too is for uh, ex-cult babies is that we don't even have our families to rely on. We're like literally out there fucking flapping in the wind like those goddamn 
What else? Beanpole things from the car car dealership. The wild, wacky, waving, arm flailing tube man. There you go. At the end of the day, all I've ever wanted is to be here for somebody, to be here for each other because no one was there for us. Yes, exactly. I think it's very important. Top priority. Thousand percent. Top priority. Yes. So we'll be here for you. (laughs) If we didn't have jobs, we could be here all the time. I think we could eventually build it up, though, to where there's somebody available all the time. That would be the end goal. This friend I have that would do this Help the Homeless Program project, and he would say several times, I don't feel like I'm giving something. I don't feel like I'm doing cherry at all, like whatsoever, because I get back what I feel so much more than what I'm giving. And I feel like that with being there for each other, it fills my soul, fills my soul to be able to say, I'll listen to you. And there's definitely people that want you to stick around. There is an element of strength and healing that comes from being able to be in a place where you can turn around and say, okay, here, let me loan you my lantern, (laughs) essentially. So I definitely think that we will get to a place where we can confidently promise someone around all the time. Yeah, We see it and we see it in the groups. People are like, I need someone to talk to. Like Mm -hmm. someone please call me. I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I need it. We do. It's so hard for us to connect with other people it takes like sometimes years or you just never do because you either can't tell them about your past or you've told them and they can't accept you or there's so many and factors and, and sometimes i feel like because people people will say to us ex call babies that'll be like everybody feels awkward everybody feels like they're on the outside looking in to me it's the equivalent of sure everybody needs to learn how to dance but we're learning how to dance in a fucking wheelchair like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I right. know. I know that there's other people who do feel isolated, who who do feel like an alien in the situations that they're in or that there's not their family isn't there for them. Yada, yada. But even just being able to understand cultural references, exactly. that's a connection. That's a connection. And it's not saying, I'm not saying that's going to matter, but if you are going through your day and in your conversations with your coworkers or your neighbors or whatever it is, and you are having conversations that you know what they are talking about and they know what you're talking about, that's a fucking connection. Whether you hate it, whether it helps you, doesn't matter. But we are in a situation where they don't know, we don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) Most likely if we were going to be our authentic selves they won't know what we're talking about so there there just is a little bit of an extra like i was saying earlier just like i just you won't have to translate yourself right yeah (laughs) we'll tell you that we believe in you and we're proud of you (laughs) we'll do butterflies and bravery listening service yeah it's not perfect but here it is something stay brave stay brave and remember that every Butterfly was once a caterpillar. That's right. Even if you feel like you're struggling to get out of your chrysalis, you're pushing those juices into your wings. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. (laughs) 